Hello innovators, entrepreneurs and risk takers. Welcome to another episode of Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. I'm your host Sam Kamani and on today's episode I'm interviewing Max from Cartesi and in this fascinating discussion Max shares with us what Cartesi is building, how it affects scalability and blockchain. This episode is a little bit different because towards the halfway mark in the episode Max started interviewing me and asking me some really interesting questions on growth of the whole ecosystem and how I would do things differently or what would I do if I was running a startup in this space. So if you are a builder in Web3, then this episode is for you. Nothing mentioned in this podcast should be taken as investment advice and I do not run any ads on this podcast. My only ask is that you share this episode on your social media. With that out of the way, let's get into it. So yeah, Max, it's great to have you on the show. Looking forward to talking about courtesy. So for some of our audience who don't know you, can you please share with us what you do at courtesy and share also a bit about courtesy as well? Yeah, great. I do ecosystem growth at Cartesi. I've been there for two years and Cartesi is basically developing sort of a roll-up SDK protocol, basically for app-specific roll-ups with yes. a, a custom virtual machine. So most people are familiar with the EVM yeah. the machine. We're trying to do something slightly different. Like the big goal is to basically emulate a traditional full computer that, that has an operating system as well. So you could run programs that would run on a normal computer verifiably, basically, on Ethereum. Yep. Oh, that's fantastic. That's taking it to the next stage. Yeah. So how did you get involved in this? Yeah, so I... Basically, like a few years ago during my studies, I was already like interested in blockchain. I decided to write my master's thesis on blockchain business models. That was my, uh, I think like everyone else, I like started from the asset side, like just buying some ETH early on, like a little bit and seeing, yes. oh, this is interesting. But then actually getting into the tech itself was like the, the unlock. Then I decided to, to go down this path and I was, I just realized I was spending, some of my friends were playing like ps4 next to me and i was just like on my computer <laughs> reading about <laughs> stuff i realized okay this is something that is actually interesting to me so let me actually spend more time on it wrote my thesis then decided to um start working like i, I actually started working in healthcare for two years in the innovations area but i realized i was i kept on getting pulled back in to the blockchain stuff and was reading up on it after work sometimes a bit overlapping <laughs> so yes. I, I figured okay it's time i actually tried to move a bit more into the industry i started creating content as well as i said it's super useful yes, to do that absolutely I, exactly i i created some videos around DeFi summer and like trying to explain yes. DeFi like first principles and wrote articles as well ended up joining kernel which is like this like sort of program that's pretty cool like that gitcoin actually yes. is affiliated with Bitcoin and worked a bit for rareable dao doing more like content community stuff and then heard about Cartesi from yeah from my network and decided to apply there and got connected to Bruno who I work with today and yeah I think it was a fit so we I basically moved there that was two years ago back in August yeah that I oh, started that's, yeah that's fantastic so you know how you wrote about DeFi from first principles can you yeah. um, share with the audience what does that mean 
uh, I was trying to think about it from the angle of like, why do we actually need this? What are we trying to solve? Yes, exactly. Yes. The problems that we have today. It's been a while, so, so yeah. it's not as fresh in my mind, but the main idea was basically like we're relying on existing systems that are very inefficient, that are, for example, trying, I think the average costs of tr- sending money in the planet are around, uh, yeah. if you compare to, for example, sending an email, which is like free and instantaneous, and then you have 7% and it takes days for your money to, to move from one account yes. to the next, you realize, okay, there has to be a better solution to this. Uh, and I think... DeFi starting with actually creating a, a money that is digital and commoditized and then yes. building on top of a, a very sound structure, building other services like lending, borrowing, betting or speculation, derivatives, etc. Staking, that sounded... all that. Yeah, exactly. But just on top of a base primitive that is, hmm. um, yeah, super lean, basically, right? Just sending money from yes. one person to the next on chain like just just that that, that's just super cool and essentially yeah i think the big idea is like just creating like a bit like how we have physics in the real world like like gravity what if we could create like physics for things like money for example where you have a system that's so neutral and so trusted that we can actually build things on top of that just like how we build things on top of gravity i don't know can play yes. games, you can live, etc. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. That's a very interesting way and a very simple way to explain why why we need DeFi. Because yeah, as you said, it takes days and average cost is seven person, and and it's a very clear use case. And that cost is that n- not by accident, but it is there by design. It is there is an intent <laughs> that is what supports the whole system, the current system. So it is very inefficient and there is a lot of bureaucracy and lots of other things that can be stripped. Um, and I think it would just increase the productivity of the whole global economy. That's why I'm still in this space, whether it's uh, winter or summer, it doesn't matter to me. Um, yeah, yeah, because I see the value. I-, I would love to understand the value behind Cartesi. And if you can explain from in the same way, how you explain this so well, what is the value proposition? So you can start with first, okay, roll up. What's a roll up? And then you can start from there if you want. Yeah, no, great. As there, there's a theorem, right? Which basically yes. allows us to create some of these services on top of DeFi, yeah. like lending, like staking, et cetera. Yes. Now there is basically just so much block space on Ethereum because you're basically competing with a lot of other applications yes. for the attention of nodes, right? Of validators. Yes. On Ethereum, basically every validator validates everything. So if I'm buying an NFT, every yes. validator in the world has to validate that transaction. But it maybe doesn't interest everyone, right? It's it's not necessary yes. necessarily necessary for everyone yes. to validate that. To reach, let's say, consensus or to be able to verify that. So yes. what rollups do is they move some of these transactions and some of these computations off-chain and basically batch them. You can think of it a bit as like this. Like, for example, there's two types of rollups. There's optimistic rollups and ZK rollups. We're focused yes. on the optimistic side right now. And assuming, let's say we play a game of cards, right? The two of yes. us. We don't need all the validators on Ethereum to validate it because we're the two only people potentially interested yeah. in the outcome. Yeah. So the idea is like, what if only the two of us were to validate this game of cards? And mm-hmm. if we agree on the results, perfect. We just post it on Ethereum. We're optimistic that no one is lying. However, if one of us disagrees, in that situation, we will actually rerun the part of the game of cards 
where we disagree yes. on Ethereum, where we have thousands of validators, right? So we use Fantastic. Ethereum exactly mm -hmm. as this arbitra arbitrator in a way. So, so, so now the question yeah, go yeah, ahead. So I understand like ZK Rollup says you're not revealing everything. So basically you are telling and explaining that you have the password without revealing the password in a way. Just a very simple explanation of the ZK Rollup. So this is the optimistic rollup. So th these are the two uh, kind of uh, not competing, but these are the two trains of thought two lines of thinking of how to to optimize ethereum or, or to take it to the next stage but yeah country sorry to interrupt you yeah uh, this is great no this is a good addition so we're focused a bit more on the optimistic side yes. for several reasons which i can get to in a second but now the big question is a lot of people are probably familiar with optimism arbitrum they're also optimistic yes. rollups yes. you can think of them like new shards though because optimism mainnet is like one big rollup that supports a lot of different applications. So eventually another rollup, a rollup like that will face similar issues as we saw in Ethereum because there's again, limited block space, right? Yes. So if, if some of these networks get really popular and people want to join uh, those networks, it's possible that they will again, get congested. So you're recreating an issue, but at a different like level, delaying the issue, uh, if you will. So there's another sort of design thought, uh, design, um, we have designing these rollups and it's actually about a bit like what we did said with the game of cards. Like instead of having all nodes validate everything, you just have nodes that are interested in a specific application or computation validate that. Yes. And then you arrive to this application specific rollup sort of design, right? Which yeah. means again, when you have application specific rollups, essentially the application has access to the full CPU so the, full, the full VM is, is available for the application. So that unlocks sort of mm. basically predictability because if you're sharing yes. your computer with others and you're fighting for space, you don't know how much it's going to cost you to actually use that space in the future if there's high demand. Like if someone drops an NFT collection, you know, everyone is going to be affected, including yes. my small application that is trying to just, I don't know stake, right? Yes. So so if, if you look at it like that, the idea is, okay, maybe we can actually shift the validation to the people that are to just the people that need to be actually validating it or that are interested. And then you arrive at this application specific rollup design model. And that gives you like tremendous level of computational capacity. So you can think of it like you can run a full program essentially on that. Obviously it's not as fast. It's still like a hundred X or yes. a thousand X slower than a traditional computer because you have an emulation cost, but comparing yes. that to like a shared shard, you're again like a hundred, a thousand X that. Um, yeah. So it's like really cool in between space. So that's the, just the roll up design uh, part. Yes. Yeah. And then there's the VM part, which I think is yeah. like probably the most interesting part. And it's also a bit of an outcome from that whole design because yeah. once, once you do application specific rollups, running the EVM doesn't make sense because yes. EVM was built for composability, was built for applications interacting within a shard. But if yeah. the application interact within a shard, then you're if you're just putting the EVM again, you create a lot of unnecessary overhead. Um, in that sense, you and you can open up the design space for execution environments. So you could have anything as a virtual machine. And that's something I think is really cool. You have people doing like the Solana VM now and stuff like yes. that. You have people doing Quasim, like on Cosmos. And then you have people trying, like us, trying to actually emulate a traditional computer chip or an ISA instruction set architecture. 
Yeah. Uh, in our case, it's Risk Five, which is this open source instruction set architecture. And having that means you can run essentially programs that run on Risk Five, and there's a ton of them. On top yeah. of that, you can actually boot an operating system like Linux. Like we can run like unmodified Ubuntu in theory on top of it. Yeah. Which is like one of the Linux distributions. Fantastic. And that comes with a ton of cool benefits. Yeah. <laughs> So can you give me some example of what sort of an use case or application would be most suited for this? Most suited is the big question. <laughs> but the idea is you could run like systems, right? Like traditional. Okay. Let, let me tell you what I've seen up to today, because I have no idea exactly what will come in the future. I think that's. Yes, the... Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Obviously, we know, none of us can tell like what's happening yeah. going to happen. This space moves so fast. To me, exactly. it moves faster than the AI space in some ways because yeah. it is so much more open because it's permissionless and it's transparent and decentralized, everything in one. So, yeah. but yeah, go ahead. No, that's a great point. I think like touching on the AI topic that you mentioned, there's yes. potential to run like verifiable uh, inference. So like actually running a model and being able to prove that a certain model was used to generate certain outputs given certain yeah. inputs. So someone, this person, this girl, during a hackathon put Alpaca, which is this LLM from Stanford. Yeah. Yeah, great. I'm, I know Alpaca. I don't know what she did, but yeah, continue. Okay. Yeah, and she was able to easily port it to Cartesi because of this yeah. sort of environment that, that, that enables it. And to basically, so the, this kind of explains the whole value of this, right? Like you have existing models. You don't have to retrain a model and have it, make it compatible with your rollup, but this Cartesi rollup allows you to reuse existing stuff. So she was able to actually use this alpaca model and have it run inside of the Cartesi machine. And what that means is that basically you can verify that, that a certain input led to a certain output. Today, we're like, this doesn't necessarily make sense, but I don't know, in a world maybe with where these models have more power and where they make certain decisions or where we have like a plethora of models, potentially we yeah. would want to be able to verify certain things. So that, that project was cool. It's called ChainGPT, was at ETH Global Lisbon, I believe. Yeah. And that was like our first, oh shit, okay, people are starting to understand the potential of this. We have people play, putting like games, obviously, like on, games are always like a, a good ground for experimentation. I think you probably know this maybe better than me, but I think like also in, in the history of the internet and technology, oh, like yeah. games, absolutely. Like That's why it's like. Yeah, it's like the when you're young, teenage boys got get into gaming and then that brings them love for computers. They go more into programming because they want to create more mods for their games. And hence you end up with a future where there's, this is not according to me, this is according to Melinda Gates, that you end up with where most of the software developers are male because they started with gaming and they were the more, they were more into gaming. So it all starts with gaming in so many fields. Yeah. Yeah. So I think gaming is interesting because it, you know, actually right now we've, in the past, we've seen a lot of web 2.5 games where, you know, you have the NFTs yes. that live on chain, but you don't have the full game is still like traditional, right? Yeah. So the question is like, what if we actually can move like the game logic and game state on chain as well. And then you have games that are a bit like DeFi, like autonomous, like that have these qualities that are autonomous, persistent, yes. that maybe are composable and in order to get there, you need something like app-specific rollups, most likely, where the games can have their own environment, where they're not competing with others for block space, because why would someone want to pay five bucks during like search times for 
a, a move on a chessboard. So there's need for app specific rollups and on a Cortese side, being able to run maybe physics engines from the past that already exist, that's a value prop yeah. on top of that. So actually one game that I'm quite excited about is this chess game, but yeah. instead of humans playing chess, it's you can upload your own bots. And these bots yeah. are basically, as, as long as they're UCI compliant, which means like most chess bots, like Stockfish, like mm-hmm. a Seawall, all of these like sort of chess engines would be compatible with this. You can run them verifiably and they can compete against other bots. So yes. you have this, and all these bots are NFTs. And so you can imagine like the, how deep this can go, where you can buy these bots, you can trade them, you can place wagers against games, you can, yeah, yes. whatever you want, you can do in there. And now you can probably ask what's but the end why, goal of this? Yeah, yeah. Why would you, you could do the same thing in a Web2 model as well. Like you can have bots play against bots in a Web2 model as well and put wager against them. What's the benefit of putting them on chain? I think the main benefit would be to have this sort of neutral ground where you don't like you create this like net neutral place. This It's a marketplace for competition in a way Yes, that allows us to build things on top, right? Once you have this like net neutral place, one, the idea is, okay, this can, we can verify everything. So we know that there's not one entity controlling this game. Yes. We know that the, the deep thought is as well, this could become like a breeding ground for actually creating the most performant bot. Because if there's actually betting involved, people are incentivized to improve these bots, these chess bots, right? But then that um, could also be done in a Web2 environment. Yeah, I suppose that you could. But I think in a Web2 environment, maybe also, I'm not endorsing anything here, by the way. But oh, no, that's maybe... fine. That's fine. No, I'm just, this is, we're just having a discussion. I am, because I'm trying to understand the, you, because how I evaluate every project is that, okay, yeah. uh, what problem is solving? And then that can that problem be solved in an easier way using a Web2 solution? So is it the... Yeah. I think, so in, how would this look like in a Web2 solution? You would just have a server and then people would like, yeah. But you would tr- trust the, you would have to trust uh, someone, right? Yeah, you trust the platform, just like people trust all the platforms. Yeah. And people trust Web2 yeah. platforms more than they trust Web3 platforms because of just everything that goes wrong. <laughs> so that's why yeah. it's a trust. It's a trust. Just m- money is money just because it, people trust it. If they don't trust it, the money has no value. So it's just trust on the brand name. So whatever the yeah. platform might be, like doesn't matter if it's Fiverr or Upwork or whatever the name might be, but People start with the base level of trust until someone else breaks it. And like how in Web3 world, most of the times, even in NFTs, the it's only the URL that is on chain. <laughs> the file is still on a Web2 platform somewhere. You, I'm sure you are from the industry what goes on in, in many cases. Not, not every case, especially if it's a video file or something. It's always on the on AWS. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that the main idea would be here that some of these games would involve quite like large sums potentially of money. Yes. I don't know. I think you would probably prefer to do that in, a, in an environment. And I agree, like right now, we don't trust necessarily Web3 as much. Yeah, we trust like, Web2 more than Web3. <laughs> uh, that, that's just the reality. I work in Web3, by the way. I, I invest in Web3 companies I, yeah, yeah. and I last few years. So it's, and I, I'm sharing that, that just the a person on the street 
because Web3 is so much more of a complex environment that it takes a lot more human brain processing power to learn the terminology, to learn everything, that there is a lot more potential for a sophisticated person to rip off a non-sophisticated person in this space, which I'm sure you are aware of. Whereas in Web2 is such a non-sophisticated environment that people have a better, like a more level playing ground in a Web2 world than, a, than an on-chain environment. Unfortunately, it's exactly the opposite of what it should be. No, you're right. I think, but I think we're getting, we're surely getting to a point where we can like maybe abstract also some of the complexities away and yes, there will be, yeah, we will still have to trust sort of the builders a bit because the more we abstract away, the harder it is to actually remove the need to trust because you need, yeah, you have to trust these abstractions in a way, but. So that's why we trust brands. We trust brands. That That's pretty much the end of it. That's how I feel like we trust Apple. We trust, we, we trust so many yeah. brands. I think now we enter like into a deeper debate, but I know I think, I I think it comes yeah. back maybe to the like creating uh, physics, digital physics yes. in a way, not to be confused with the autonomous world physics, digital physics, but like yeah. the digital physics in our reality, like yes. maybe for this chess game, like it's a bit harder to okay project yourself because there's so many other things maybe we should build first. Yes, but it's, it's a, if you have these digital physics, we'll be it'll be a lot easier to build things on top of that, in my opinion. Like if we start on like rock foundations of, oh, let me trust this company. Like who's going to imagine like the layers on top of things being built. Like what if these rocky foundations are shit and then this company like, you know, collapses, like everyone else will fall too. So if you have, I think you need a a certain level of digital physics or of trustless or permissionless smart contracts before we move into the brand's just from a like innovation yeah. perspective, like we want to like compose and iterate on top, at least at the protocol levels. So like this chess game is, yes. you can think of it like just executables, like programs basically fighting yeah. against each other. Yeah. And there's just, there, there's a verification mechanism that pr- checks if, so everything happens in a Cartesian machine. So you can yes. actually check who actually won in a verifiable way. Yeah, And just, okay, let me just play a chess game perspective. Maybe that's A, I don't know if that's necessary. But if you build things on top of that, I oh, think- Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it... I, I wasn't even thinking about chess. I was thinking about trading algorithms, that every trading algorithm claims that they can get better result and all that, whether it's trading on DeFi or stocks or whatever, or options. But there's like thousands of trading algorithms out there and it would be great to make all these compete and see which trading algorithm comes up on top. So I, I completely understand. I completely understand the value proposition. And then when insanely mm. large amounts of money because hedge funds are using those algorithms and all pretty much 97% of all the trading done these days is done not by humans, like even mm. in the stock markets and stuff, it's all algorithmic trading and high frequency trading. And because they can, bots are making decisions in a in a split of a second and executing orders based on the conditions all around the world. And that's why like a contagion event can happen or a black swan event can happen easily, just like it did in 2008, because everything's controlled. But then this could be a fertile ground for bots to fight against each other and and figure out which bot is better. That's what I was thinking, but I could be wrong. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think there's also always this conflict of interest, like a trading bot, like what I wanted to compete in like a public environment, like probably if... I'm a rational actor. I would just want to use it for my own like profit without revealing it. 
but yeah, I think you could make this a similar no, you argument. Would, you for... would wanna you would wanna want it to compete in a public environment because if more people know that your bot is better, the more people would wanna just like you want your horse horse to compete in a public environment so people bet on it. Um, it's true, simple. True. People do it in the not even web to the old school world. Even uh, two thousand years ago, they they compete in races and horse races and dog races and whatnot. So pe- people do that. Yeah. True. Not right. Right. I guess maybe I, the ideal would be like for those trading bots to have maybe use like ZK or something to like because you wouldn't want to reveal like your source like the code itself yes. like you would approve um yeah. your return but yeah I'm with you yeah yeah oh that's a very interesting point that you wouldn't want to reveal your source but you want to prove that you got the return exactly. yeah so that's a very interesting how do developers currently interact with it do is there like a console is there like a ux ui that people can use how does it work yes right now we so i mentioned we have specific rollups so maybe yes. i can also briefly mention that we, we reached like our first step towards mainnet very recently like a couple nice. two weeks ago or something. and we call it the honeypot and that's basically us just launching a first basically rollup a first application yes. specific rollup with basically money locked into it that is growing yes. on a weekly basis. I think it's uh, seven or eight percent weekly. So it, it it started off with I think a couple thousand, and in within a year it'll be I think over two hundred k at current prices. So the idea is like people can try to hack it, and there's no like KYC or anything. It's if you take it, you keep it. No, unless you want to reveal who you are, you can. But it's like there for the taking. So it's like a centralized bounty program, a way for us to test the technology, but also show that it's ready. And yeah, we invite basically people to also start slowly deploying on mainnet if they're interested. Yes. We, anyone can also, one interesting thing is we have a discord that is like now fully open. Like nice. all the, the technical conversations between units happen in public in that discord as well. So it's very interesting for external parties. that want to join the yes. ecosystem and contribute in some way to do that. Yeah. We have, yeah, as I mentioned, for example, a chess game and like a bunch of other like applications are being developed on testnet at the moment yes. uh, to start and hopefully will be deployed eventually on, on mainnet as well. There is a, con- the way it works is actually very similar to, de- to developing a traditional application on Linux, but yes. the main difference is that you will have inputs and outputs or interactions with the blockchain that you need to, to keep in Yeah. Very interesting. And what language do you use, Python or... So you can use anything that would run on Linux, basically. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You could use the... Python, Plus Plus, Rust. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Just like how for Ethereum or EVM you use Solidity. So how does uh, Cartesi work? Um... Yes. So you can use any language you want. Nice. That would run. And not only the language, but you can use basically any content that is. And we call this like the content scalability concept because yes. beyond like your way of expressing yourself, like the language yeah. you use, also like tools, libraries, and abstractions that are built like in the software stack. And having yeah. a RISC-V uh, VM with Linux actually allows you to very smoothly reuse all these abstractions and this content. A lot of the Complex libraries actually rely on an operating system to be able to function because they need resource management within a computer, for example. So the whole pitch is it's super easy to grab your, even like this 
code base that you see on GitHub that you're like, oh, this is whack. Like you can actually just just take it and and deploy it. Yeah. So we actually someone put Doom on Cortese. Yeah, like I the, saw the that video on YouTube. You guys have got that. Yeah, that that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that was that's the classic question, right? Will it run Doom? So yes, we did that. And yeah, I think it's yeah. The main idea is just just grab your code bases, libraries, content, yeah. and tweak a few things and put it in. And you don't have like, too many dependencies and things to like work around, basically. Nice. I, I'm now tempted to install. I can see on your website. I can go and install it and stuff. And no, that's very cool. So, what's your biggest challenge at Cartesi currently as a company? I think. So one thing is like we're distributed. So like it's. There's like a foundation and then there's a bunch of units and grantees. And unlike a traditional company, uh, you don't have, it's way more distributed. There's no like hierarchies, which comes yes. with certain pain points as well. I wouldn't say that's the main pain point. I would say actually, hopefully it's more of an advantage because it invites yeah. other people to join the ecosystem. But it's always, there's always the trade-off between being highly centralized, moving very fast and being more distributed. And like it takes... Yes. People have different opinions and some things like that might happen, which is, yeah. I think, total part of it. Yeah, uh, I think the, the biggest pain point is really uh, distribution, right? Like people are very familiar with the EVM. So when you talk to blockchain people, they are solidity and EVM <laughs> is a challenge point. Right? Sorry for asking yeah. you that as well. I also did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. think. No, so I think the solidity and EVM is like the shining point. Like they're like, okay. They have everything on, on, they have all their code bases in Solidity. They know how to work around Solidity, how to minimize interactions with the blockchain to save on gas, et cetera. They have all their mental models and stuff. Yeah. And then if we talk to the actually blue ocean of developers, which is, I think there's 95% of developers are not in Web3 yet, but they don't yet understand the value of blockchain and how. It's about 98 99%, 98% are not in Web3. They've never touched Web3, 98%. And there's probably about 30, 40% of the all yeah. the developer population that actively hate Web3 <laughs> and hate anything <laughs> crypto. <laughs> so yes, that's, yeah. you, you make my point even. Yeah, so there's like these different echelons of yes. the resistance, as you said, people that are completely... Uh, yeah, anti-crypto. Like, speculation. They don't see yes. like the the true potential of it. And then there's... So there's really this split, right? You either you talk to the yes. Web3 audience and you're like, hey, look, we can do you can do much more than you're currently doing on the EVM. Yes. And they're like, okay, but what can I do? And then you talk to the audience who knows who's actually very familiar with Linux and who's yes. who who built traditional programs, but then you're like, okay, but why blockchain? Mm -hmm. So I think like that. So what do you I say think, to those people when they say why blockchain? I think a bit what we discussed before. So I think to the Web3 audiences, okay, yes. imagine if you can do like verifiable servers, right? Like traditional servers, but make them verifiable, yes. like AWS, but with verified machines, fully verifiable machines. And the Web2 audience is really about, yeah, it's tricky, man. It's because it's a completely new, it's a paradigm shift, right? It's it like, is a paradigm shift, 100%. It's a different planet, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> you have to convince them that, oh, this planet is no good. You have to live on another planet. Pretty much it's that big a shift. <laughs> exactly. And this is a problem, like, already when I wrote my master's thesis, like, there was, like, five years ago or something. Yes. I think they were thinking about energy, like, how to make, like, peer-to-peer -peer energy trading systems on chain, blah, blah. Yeah. And, like, the whole question was, like, okay, but I'm going to disrupt my own business model. For Why would I do that? So it's almost, like, 
you need like these entrepreneurs and it probably won't be the incumbents that will actually do the change first. You need yeah. like these smaller players that will threaten the incumbents to, to appear and eventually people will start seeing the value a bit more. Again, I'm not sure. I don't think you need everything to be verifiable, but yeah. like some level of digital physics can bring a lot of innovation on top. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a whole different way of thinking about the whole economy pretty much. <laughs> it's it doesn't because it affects money, it affects how everything is laid out in the current web 2 model. So it is mm. just I, I do think that it is quite some time away <laughs> how everything has to change to adapt to this newer more open, more decentralized model. Um Yeah. How would you like in my shoes like how would you pitch like uh oh that's uh, such a good question that is like the best question i have been asked i don't know enough about the technology but solidity developers would be harder to convince than the web 2 developers i feel like that because you look at the electric capitals report and if there are six and a half thousand developers on a daily active developer basis who are mm-hmm. submitting to GitHub and all that from that data, 5,000 over 5,000 would be just working on Solidity. The second would be Rust and then so on and so forth. And like some chains only have 50, 60 active people working on it, even big ones, Cardano and stuff like that. It's crazy how few people are active on a day-to-day basis in Web3. And even in that, like, um, Ethereum ecosystem, just because of the age, it's eight years old. It's still like a small child. It's not like internet, which is, I don't know, 50, 60, 80 years or since it's been going on. But even Ethereum so young that it is, I think they're just so early in that space and people are just so used to. And it's just like even events like ETH Global and stuff. Cartesi is there at ETH Global events, a lot of them. I'm seeing you guys around at ETH Denver, at ETH Waterloo, like lots of events I see you guys around at in San Francisco and, and so on and so forth. Like there is just so much more activity. And what happens is there are supporting tools. And then whenever this sort of a hackathon comes around, thousands of devs come around, they all get used to using those tools. So it is very hard to attract people when they're so used to, as you said, they have their frame of mind and stuff. So it would be just around finding those use cases and then asking those Web3 developers, so how would you run something like run a whole app or something like that? How would you enable? So asking them those questions and then when they get stuck, then, hey, look, why don't you try Cartesi? So that's what I would do for the Web3. With Web2, it's going to be it's gonna be very interesting because... You know how I say there's 30, 40% who are actively against, but then there are about maybe 20, 30%. And most of them are in countries outside of US and Europe. So a lot of them are in Latin America, Southeast Asia, South Asia, like India, and and lots in, in Africa who are actively looking at blockchain. And they are a lot more open to blockchain. They don't have this black and white view that, a lot of people in West have like of blockchain. So they are a lot more open. And what they are seeing is that, hey, blockchain and Web3 companies are open to decentralization. They're open to hiring us. And you, you'd see, I have never come across so many decentralized companies in my life in any other industry because most Web3 companies don't start with 
a main big head office, like big building in center of a city somewhere based in, I don't know, Nebraska or Houston or somewhere, like anything like that. It doesn't happen like that. It's not from, it's from, it starts from the outside and spread out. So that is a mm -hmm. positive because for why would you want to only hire the best developers in a 50 kilometer radius or a 50 mile radius, why not in the whole planet from the 50 million hire the best people in the world? The developers around the world outside of Europe and US, they see North America and, and Europe, they see that, hey, Web3 companies are open and that this is something new, this is something fresh. And then they are the ones using Web3 technology that is not for speculation. So they are using it for whether it's for gaming or whether it's for, you know, doing stable coin transactions and paying each other and, and microtransactions and things. So they're using day to day. So they're more open to it. So it will be very easy sell. And that's why you would see Cardano and Polkadot do so many things in Africa. And because first of all, massively young population that is all growing and learning about tech. And so that is where I would go. I would go to India. I would go to Southeast Asia, Latin America, Africa, especially Nigeria, Kenya, and list people endless people there and give them projects and show them that how this can even free them further and get them involved. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Go to the people that actually have the most urgent. Yeah. Understand. Um, yeah. And, and they're more open to it as well. I, I do see it that the next um, layer of innovation all coming from outside of us because US has got a lot of, I, I already see, I'm like, I went to Token 2049 three weeks ago, and there were so many founders from US who have moved to Singapore, who moved to Dubai, who moved to other parts of the world, because US has a lot of uncertainty around regulation. So the innovation is moving out of there. And our space is so decentralized. People are always traveling and working as digital nomads anyway. So it's not like they moved at all. <laughs> they, they were already not there in US. <laughs> they were already working remote. So they just moved from, they are no longer a Delaware C. They're registered somewhere else. They're registered in, Kathisi is registered in Singapore, I'm pretty sure. I think it was, I'm not sure if it still is, but yeah, there was, uh, it was in the past at least for sure. Yeah. And now a lot of Singaporean ones are moving to Dubai because it's so mobile, like talent is mobile and capital is mobile. Once again, these um, make sense. Yeah. So you so, mentioned like, last maybe last question for me. Yes. Is my... No, no, this is good. <laughs> I'm having so much fun. Yeah. My question was, I think there's a deb there's debate going around about like speculation as yes. like the primary PMF case. yes yeah. of blockchain no it's not at all i'll tell you what the primary use case of blockchain is when a technology get gets adopted it gets adopted when it becomes invisible so it's you switch on your tv you use your remote control you do not need to learn about what frequency of infrared is going from your remote to the tv you don't need to learn about the chips inside your remote or chips inside your tv or whether it is qled or oled or um, led2 or wh whatever technology it uses you don't need to learn about it you just use the utility you use a bank account you do not need to learn about rdbms like relationship database management system you, you do not you're not required to when a technology gets invisible it gets adopted because it becomes people use it so there is a technology that is being adopted at a mass scale and billions of dollars is being transferred and it's used in that and that is stable coins 
So stable mm. coins are changing the whole face of the payment system, banking system, everything. And so in future, people will move money. They will not realize that underlying infrastructure is built on stable coins. And stable coins is the killer app of our generation in a way. So it's just I go to East Denver. I'm from New Zealand. There are people from all around the world. We don't have a U.S. social security number, so we cannot have a bank account in U.S. So we cannot have Venmo. So we cannot make small payments to each other when we go eating out, going on tax, like taxi, Uber, whatever. So what's the easiest thing? USDC or USDT or uh, one of the stable coins. So easy. Low, low transaction fees. We know exactly how much we are moving. No more volatility of Ethereum, Bitcoin or any other Dogecoin or anything like that. So we don't need to worry about anything like that. So it is so convenient that people use it. I have to pay someone in Azerbaijan that I hire. I pay him in USDT or USDC because there is no PayPal, Stripe. All these platforms are just in 70, 80 countries, 30 countries, things like that. What about the other 120 countries, the other 140 countries? They all use stable coins. And even I hire in Africa, they want to be paid in stable coins. As well as larger businesses when they move. If you're a big business, as you're saying, you don't want to pay 7% and go through 12 different agencies. If you're moving from UK to US, a million dollars, 7%, that's $70,000. You can use stable coins and move at like an AML KYC solution and you'd pay a few dollars and move that money within a few minutes. So that is already going on. 2017, 18 peak of the market. Stable coins were both two billion in market cap. Now they're over hundred billion, and we are not even in a bull run. So this is in the downturn. So it just shows, as well as the transaction volume on a day-to-day basis, and it's not even a lot of the transaction volume is not even shown in the market cap because a lot of it is used by banks underlying. So PayPal is adopting it, and a lot of them. Pretty much a lot of the banking system underlying will adopt it. Your mom and dad, my mom and dad would never even need to learn about stable coins. It will just form the underlying infrastructure. Every government, every state is going to release it. I The other day I had a catch up with the senator of Wyoming. He's launching a, a stable coin soon, a backed 104% or 105% by their state. It, it depends how much, but it, it's just there, there are... Thousands of new stablecoin products going to be their stablecoin spec to commodities or stablecoins that are inflation proof. So they move with inflation, their value increases. So right now it's worth a dollar, then it'd be 96 cents, whatever, or, or the other way around. So it will move, it will track the inflation and stuff. So it's, there's going to be a lot of innovation on that side. So that's one of the things. And then of course, the other thing is the speculation. Speculation is always going to be there. But yeah, the real world assets is going to be, it, it, we are still far away from that because that takes a lot of regulation. But I, I do see, and stable coins are leading to central bank digital currency. And that will happen because it's just a much more convenient form of currency. So th- that is going to yeah. happen. No, that makes but, sense. But yeah, I've got two minutes. I've got another meeting starting. I would love to yeah. ask you, do you have a ask quickly for our audience? Is there anything you guys are looking for? Yeah, if you want to contribute to Cartesi or just find out more, join us on the Cartesi Discord and ask away and we're around and hope to, yeah, see you there. Fantastic. So I'll leave the link in the comments and so feel free to reach out, join the Discord or reach out to Max. I'll also leave Max's links in the comments. So thank you so much, Max, for it. I'm sure we will catch up again. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was a great talk. 
Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening or watching this episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. By now, you know the drill. Leave a comment or share this episode with a friend and leave a review. I would love to hear from you. So that's why my DMs are open. Reach out to me, especially if you are a founder building a product in Web3. Then I would love to hear from you. What are your challenges? Is there anything that I can help you or my community can help you with? Thank you once again and wish you best of luck in building your startup or your project.